I have always felt valued at Seacoast. Even when I first started, I was the receptionist. I was the face of Seacoast. I got to talk to the people. I got to meet the people. Pastor Greg brought me in very early on, and he would ask my opinion. So I never felt less than. Most would come at it from just an honest heart. It's one of those issues, and there are a lot of them out there, that there are good, wise people that see the issue uh, from different sides of the coin. But because I led alongside my husband, there were just people that would write long letters as to why they couldn't be a part of our church anymore. It caused me to question my calling, my capability. Of 12 people that Jesus could have picked, 12 people, not one of them was a woman. Just because I don't believe or agree doesn't mean I can't learn from you. Why did you have to bring that up? Okay, that one I'm super embarrassed about. <laughs> Do you like me? Do I like you? Yeah. As, a, as an individual or as yeah, a podcast? Yeah, as a person. No, I like you. Okay, cool. Yeah. cool. And I don't have any interest in appearing to be stronger than I am. I ain't bowed a Nebuchadnezzar statue. He gonna leave. You feel me? How do we love people who see the world differently than we do? What would it look like if we truly loved all of our neighbors? Could listening to their stories be the first step? This is Seacoast Church, and there's way more to talk about. All right, here's a personal share. When I came on staff at Seacoast in 2005... Wow, 18 years ago. My time at Seacoast is now adult age. (laughs) So anyway, I'm pretty sure there were already women pastors. And although it wasn't offensive to me in the least, I still disagreed. So some of you listening may would respond, well, you should have. Women pastors isn't a biblical thing. And yet others would potentially jump quickly and even labeling me a sexist. Well, I can assure you I wasn't that, but I was the former. Back then, I just didn't think it was a biblical thing. Now I think we should fire all the campus pastors at Seacoast and hire women to replace them. Just kidding. Except maybe not kidding with Roy Jakes. We played t-ball together as kids, and he's used to me picking on him. But seriously, my views have changed quite a bit on this one, and yet I understand completely why some still disagree. What I don't like is when that belief also includes treatment of women as lesser than, not having as vital of a role as men, nor as equal contributors. So we've been telling you this one was coming. Pastor Greg shares his thoughts on women being pastors, including how women were such an integral part of his faith journey. Kathy, him and Josh Surratt's longtime assistant is back with us. And for the first time on this podcast, we have Andy Andrews. So Andy and her husband, Paul, are relatively new to the Seacoast family. You may have remembered her from a Sunday morning. She's taught us a handful of times. So these guys pastored in New York City for 12 years at a church they planted called Liberty Church both sharing the main teaching and leadership roles. Before New York City, they lived in Sydney, Australia, where Paul is originally from, and that is where they met and fell in love. And it was over dinner at Outback Steakhouse. (laughs) My Aussie friends never think that's a funny joke. 
at all. <laughs> I learned a great deal from a lot of the theological digging that Andy and Pastor Greg have done on this one. And hey, before this, here's what we're going to do. Two weeks ago in an episode we called Pastor Greg and his abrasive therapist, our founding pastor, Greg, summarizes how he personally deals with the tension of essential and non-essential issues. All of us on this episode, we see this issue with women leadership as a non-essential, by the way. Anyway, on this episode, we refer back to this bucket talk in that past episode. And if you remember it, your podcast player likely has a skip to the next function. And you can go ahead and click that to skip ahead to the main conversation. If you have not heard that episode, it's worth taking in because we refer back to it a great deal. So thanks for listening, everyone. And hey, Andy is also an author of some great books with another release right around the corner. The show notes is always the place for you to get more information on the folks who join us. Check out our website to see some of her books and ministry resources. All right, here's Pastor Greg in that episode two weeks ago. I'm doing a lot of study on that right now. I'm going to do a talk on it soon and hopefully put it out in a lot of places. But for instance, the Southern Baptist situation with Rick Warren, mm-hmm. okay, and and others. Okay, so there's a quote and it's attributed to, oh man, uh, everybody from uh, John Wesley to uh, one of the early founding church fathers, but it says, in essentials, we have unity. In non-essentials, we have liberty. And in all things, we have charity. So you've, you've got essentials where we have unity. We've got to be in unity on that. We've got non-essentials where we have liberty. Okay, My liberty is different than your liberty. We're going to allow people to have liberty. But in everything, we're going to do it with love. We're going to have love. And that's that is missing in today's political discourse, which mm-hmm. has creeped into the church. And, you know, it's just, it's crazy. We know that. So who gets to choose what the essentials are? Well, the good news is that the early church did that for us, okay, and defined what the essentials are. And they're the creeds. You've got the Nicene Creed. You've got the Apostles' Creed. I've got it here in front of me. Let me read it. But I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, was buried. He descended to hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He had ascended to heaven and is seated on the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From there, he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, which means the true Christian church of all times and all places, the communion of the saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Now, there's a lot of things in there, and I'm not mm-hmm. going to break it down, but they're they're basic and they're essential. And then you've got other creeds, as heresies would come in, that say the same thing, just kind of expand on it just a little bit. Don't put extra things in, but just expand on it a little bit. So there's these basic things that are Christian doctrines. If you're going to call yourself a Christian, and I'm going to call myself a Christian, then we agree on these basic things. That's the essentials, right? That's mm-hmm. unity. Then non-essentials are things like, there's all kinds of them. There's things like eschatology, which is a big word for how's this whole thing end. Uh, there's church government. I've heard people say this is the New Testament style of church government. <laughs> you know, really. Okay, there's several. And um, things like church discipline, women in ministry, how a, how a church is governed. You know, is it an episcopate uh, with bishops and all of this? Is it Presbyterian with a presbytery? Is it congregational? You know, like a lot of Baptists or Assemblies of God, Pentecostal, there's, there's all kinds of different ways to do that. And we can argue about them, but we have liberty and there are wise people on all sides of issue. I call this 
theological humility. We need a lot more theological humility, which says, this is what I believe on non-essentials. We're not going to do it on essentials. Non-essentials, this is what I believe, and I feel strongly about it. But Joey, you might be right. I don't think you're right, Mm -hmm. but you might be right. And there are other people that agree with you on that issue that don't agree with me. Here's where it goes bad. You've got those two buckets. Now, when you form a group, a church, or whatever, you've got a sub I'll call it a a sub-essentials, a a local essentials. If we're going to walk together, we've got to have unity on this. And so what we do, if it's a church, we take all of those essentials that are in the creeds, and then we take two or three or four of the non-essentials that we have convictions over, and we put them in our essentials. A Pentecostal, that's why I was raised in, would have the creeds, and then you would have how you handle the gifts of the Spirit, and what does it mean to be baptized in the spirit? Do you have to speak in tongues? Not, you know, how is the church governed? That would all be in that bucket. Baptists would have their own bucket. And one of those currently is you have to believe that women can't teach, you know, that type thing. Or So that would be their bucket. If we're going to be together in our group, then we need to subscribe to that. Where it gets to be not okay is when we take one of those non-essentials that's in our bucket as an essential, and we throw it in the big essential bucket as an essential. Women in ministry, speaking in tongues, and we put it in there, and here's what happens. If you don't agree with me on that, you're a heretic. Right. And if you look at the history of the church, which I'm restudying even as we're talking and reading a lot about the history of the church, heretics were burned, <laughs> drowned, Uh, You look at the Anabaptists. One of the reformers goes, Zwingli, the Catholic Church isn't doing it right. This is how we ought to do it. Then the Anabaptists come in and say, well, you know, we think you ought to be baptized once you believe. And they declared, the reformers declared, because the politics and the church were together, which is a mess, by the way, when that happens. So the political thing, thing said, if you have not been baptized after you were eight days old, then you're going to get in trouble. And they drowned them in Good the river. Gosh, Drowned them. Oh, yeah. You like baptism? Let's drown you in the river. What was that? That was when somebody's convictions got put into the big bucket. And if you don't agree with it, you're a heretic. All right. So let's have a fun little thought experiment. And there's a breakout group at a big church conference. Let's say it's a breakout on church leadership, big conference. It's a room of like 50 seats. They're packed, like 70 people, a bunch of people standing up, mostly men. And Andy walks in and says, hey, I'm Andy, Andrew, Pastor Andy, and I'm here to talk about church leadership. If you had to bet money, what do you think the most common response would be, or maybe a few of them? Because we know we you, uh, this is a tough question from the standpoint of you can't lump everybody in the same clay, mm-hmm. but just for conversation, what do you think would be the general response? How, what percentage did you say? What's the what's Pretty the much room? all men. All, pretty much all yeah, men? Yeah. So you're walking in to teach a bunch of Ooh. men on church leadership. Because Pastor Greg would be there. He would start the rounding roar oh, of that applause. that how it would start? Pastor Greg would introduce me? Yeah. <laughs> he, he, <laughs> changing he would start I, that, the rounding. What's funny is that was the original scenario that I wrote down, but I was like, no, nah, that's a little too easy. Like, <laughs> oh, that is too easy. He, he would lead the way. You know, sometimes you do need a champion, and uh, I I would hope that I I would be a champion. Well, honestly, 
what I would say to that, and I love that he just said that, was if I did walk into a room and it was mostly men and I was introduced, I would feel so nervous, but I would go for it if that was a place that I was given to speak on leadership. But at the same time, I think if Pastor Greg introduced me, I would feel like I was being championed. So I know that there's like two parts to that. Like I am willing to do whatever God asked me to do. Mm. And if that's a place that's given to me, but I do feel like it would probably be awkward in the room. Yeah, (laughs) And it would be a very intentional dance that I would have to do to be in a room like that, to honor who's in the room, but also speak in a way that brings us together as side by side. Right. And nervous because bunch of men, and oh. you're probably thinking, what are they thinking? What are they thinking? They're going through every scripture that they know, going, <laughs> wait a sec, this should not be. Right. So that's how I would feel. I'm talking about how I would feel, but probably it'd be a little bit awkward in the room for a bit. Yeah. And hopefully that would shift about, you know, a quarter in. <laughs> I mean, I would imagine in this day and age, you'd probably have a variety. Mm-hmm. You'd, you'd have some be like, wow, this is refreshing. This yes. is awesome. Oh my gosh, I wasn't expecting this. And then you'd have some people that's like, do I walk out? Yeah. Like, am totally. I supposed to take a stand right now and walk out? And that's the other part of it. And too, then everything in between is what circle, because I have spoken in multiple circles, whether they are evangelical, Pentecostal, prophetic, like all of the different circles where I've been in many different places, and they would all come at that moment and situation differently, too. Yeah. And I, I think, Joey, that most would come at it. From just an honest heart, because there, it's one of those issues, and there are a lot of them out there, that there are good, wise people that see the issue uh, from different sides of the coin. Yeah, and I, I wanted to make two prefaces before we jump in, and that that's basically one of them, is that I think we would all be in an, in agreement that we understand why people end up mm-hmm. in the position that they are. It's not like they're making it up. They're yeah. reading They're reading stuff in the Bible that we're reading too. And yes. we're like, huh, I don't know what to make out of that. I can understand why people think that women shouldn't be teaching. Like, We know where they're coming from. The second thing that I want to throw out there is this is not a men versus women issue. There are tons of women who would say, she has no business teaching men. This is not mm-hmm. biblical. I mean, I've heard women in the right. South upset about women's sports commentators, for crying out loud. She has no <laughs> business talking about sports in the South. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what I would love to do is, mm-hmm. is go around to everyone and hear y'all's journey when it comes to this. I'll just say, Pastor Greg, I think I've told you before that when I showed up to Seacoast, I mean, I was so conservative in my views with this that my answer to, hey, should women be pastors? I'd say, I mean, I would love it, but I have to be right. honoring to God. God's word. It doesn't mm-hmm. seem like that's the case. And I knew that we had women pastors here. And it was just like, okay, you know, theological humility, right, Pastor Greg? But over over yeah. the years, you know, mm-hmm. definitely have changed. But what's what's been your journey? And and tell us too, yeah. Andy, what's what's your background denominationally? Totally. Did you get saved later in life yep. or give us a little snapshot? Yeah. So I got saved at 19. I grew up, and this is a long story, but I grew up in a basically a religious cult. So walked away from God um, at a very young age. Didn't want anything to do with that. But at 19— I love how we just— <laughs> Listen, Religious cult and you're keeping going. 
going on. Well, because I'm like, to unpack Maybe. that is like a whole podcast in and of itself, right? Could we do that sometime? I we would probably love to can, hear. But we should bring my parents in for okay. that one too. Okay. Because yes. their story is phenomenal. Wow. So You just helped my job. I've got another <laughs> podcast on, on the schedule. Yeah. So grew up in that. So walked away from it, but then got wildly radically saved. My parents kind of pulled out of it, brought us into this like sweet community church in Spokane, Washington, where I grew up. And then I got saved. But right away, like I fell in love with the church, knew that I wanted to build the church. And so just stepped into interning, doing whatever I could um, as I had another job and then ended up going um, over to Bible college in Australia, met my husband and married a man who just believed that women were, we, it's not like we talked about it. We just did it. We were side by side in ministry. I found out that I could preach uh, when I was leading in young adults and they did this whole workshop of like, bring a five minute message. And I was like, oh my gosh, I think I was born to do mm-hmm. this. And so I, fe- if I'm honest, like I fell into it. I had read the word of God, but this, I started to preach and then was given opportunity and whether that was with women or young people and youth or even to the whole church. And then my husband and I moved to New York City in 2010. We planted a church. We were side by side in that, carrying all the responsibility together. One week he would preach, the other week I would preach. One week he would preach. Like that was, we were the roster and the other would host. And and so, were you um, guys seen as kind of a, a liberal church? I would imagine. I guess maybe in New well, York City, no, not so much. New York City, there right. is a lot of if okay, if they have a church background, it's usually pretty conservative in New York City. Yeah. Um, but if you don't have a church, ba- so the unsaved, the sense. lost that we were winning to Christ, they were like, "Wow, like cool!" Right. Like, and then we were teaching them the Bible. So you kind of we had Jew and Gentile, if you will. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? You had right. like the people that had been saved coming in, and those who were not saved, and everything was brand new. And so... And do you think generally people saw you and your husband on the same level of leadership? Or do you think some people are just like, well, I mean, he's in charge. He's the guy. I think both and. Okay. I think some did. Um, and then... then what happened was we we hit a hiccup where about a year and a half in, I remember the service. I was preaching, and there was a man sitting in the crowd, and he was like flipping through his Bible furiously. And afterwards, he comes up to me and my husband, he goes, I don't understand. I don't know what to do with this because I'm receiving from you, but scripturally, I don't know how, how I can be. And we would have people come up to us. that It was like open to floodgate, and it was almost like it hit us where we'd have people come and go, so are you egalitarian? Are you complimentary? Are you liberal? Are you conservative? Are you this? Are you that? And my husband and I looked at each other and we're like, oh no, we've just been doing this out of the call of God and we need to dig deep into our theology to understand why it's okay for me to be standing up here alongside you. And so that was like our journey to taking our whole team to doing like a theology dive. And that was, gosh, I don't even know how many years ago now. Um, so, so before mm-hmm. that, it, it wasn't even a second thought. You guys are just, this is just how we do things. This is how we do things. It was, and, and again, it's kind of like you were just talking about every view of somebody who's sitting in a congregation has been brought up some way. They've been taught a certain theology. They're in a certain denomination. So this is how they, they, what they have learned, but also we see it in scripture. So we're like, gosh, this is confusing. Paul, why did you write that? Like, I don't understand. So therefore we had been just naturally leading together and knew 
we actually need to understand why we're leading together. Because again, it was the it was the leadership that we were under that said, it's okay for you to lead together. And then you go and you plant your own church. And yes, we had covering and we had leadership, but it was different. We were the ones leading the charge together. So that yeah. was kind of our journey. And then, and then we moved here a year and a half ago. So yeah. now this is home. Once you started to dive deeper in theology, mm-hmm. was there ever some tension of, oh my gosh, maybe... Maybe, Maybe I'm we're not wrong. supposed to be yeah. doing how we're doing things. Yes, because part of how we did it was we made sure that we read different books from different perspectives um, to understand. Because because what a lot of us like to do with our theology is we um, we don't like to have theological humility. But I think for us realizing, oh, we are probably going to need to learn from perspectives that believe differently from us so we can understand why they see things the way that they do so that we can be the body of Christ, yeah. whether we agree or disagree. So, Kathy, I'd love to hear your journey in the context of Seacoast. So, you are a dynamic person, leader here. And so, you've been on staff since when? 2001. Have you felt valued on equal playing field as men here through the whole time? I have always felt valued at Seacoast. Even when I first started, I was the receptionist, and I felt valued as that as that position even. I was the face of Seacoast. I got to talk to the people. I got to meet the people. It wasn't that I was ever made to feel lesser than in any job that I've had here. Has there been a progression in your mind with how this has played out over the years here at Seacoast? Yes, I think it has. At first, when I first arrived, the leadership team was all men. And slowly over the years, it has gotten more and more women in the room. Pastor Chip was instrumental in that. Um, Pastor Greg brought me in very early on, not to be part of the leadership team per se, but to to sit at the table. And he would ask my opinion, um, as would Mac Lake and Jeff Surratt. So I never felt less than, even though I wasn't technically, my name wasn't listed on the team. And your opinion at this point at Seacoast Journey, if the most qualified candidate for a new campus pastor job opening was a woman, do you think she would get the job in 2023? I believe that regardless of the position that we have open, campus pastor included, if the best candidate is a woman, that they would definitely be considered equal to a man for the role. All right. Well, Pastor Greg, the the floor is yours. What's been your journey with this? And, And tell us your heart now in all of this, Pastor Greg. Give us a sermon. How about that? Three yeah, points. Give it to us. We want yeah, to hear it all. I don't, I don't know that I can do that. Um, my story is, you know, begins experientially and then moves into more of a theological question and, and searching um, in, in the sense that uh, some of you know the story of my family, but uh, my family uh, at, at my grandfather's level were, you know, non-church goers, non-believers, you know, that type thing. Uh, Grandpa was a bootlegger during the Great Depression. You know, just trying to make a living for his family. I think, and, and do not and, go uh, back to a, do not go back to the eighteen hundreds. <laughs> yeah, no, we're not go that far. But, but uh, you know, church wasn't a deal. And uh, two women who had been affected by a revival in Los Angeles called the Azusa Street Revival back around the beginning of the 1900s, which is when most of the Pentecostal denominations 
kind of trace their beginnings to. And um, they came to Oklahoma in this little town, Fairview, Oklahoma, to what they called preach up a church. You know, they're going to plant a church. They didn't call it planting a church then, but to preach up a church. It was two women. <laughs> Love it. Preach up and, a church. Love it. <laughs> yeah. You better know how and, to preach uh, if that's your, your game plan. <laughs> exactly. And they began to pray for my grandfather, who they labeled the meanest man in town. And uh, they thought if he could get saved, you know, that their little church would perhaps draw other people and flourish and all of that. I have an image of Ebenezer and, uh, Scrooge right yes, now. Yes, <laughs> same. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So my grandmother actually was ill at the time, and, and they believed in divine healing. And so somehow she got grandpa to take her to this little outdoor, I think they call it Brush Arbor. I don't know what that is, you know, uh, kind of an outdoor tent meeting without a tent, maybe. I don't know. But anyway, uh, he took her there, and, and she experienced healing and uh, then ultimately committed her life to Christ. So you've got two women preaching, and then my grandmother being the first one in my experience, extended family coming to Christ. And my grandfather, uh, curiously enough, would then bring her to the meetings and he would sit on the outside and mock them uh, because they were holy rollers, you know, and all this stuff. And, And then ultimately he had an experience with God. And through their commitment to Christ, you know, our family, there's, I don't know, 30 plus pastors who are in some form of ministry from a family that was really godless. And so I'm flavored by that. There is no doubt that that church became an Assembly of God church. And the theology of the uh, AG was that women could be ordained pastors. In fact, my grandmother became one. You know, she worked alongside with my grandfather, but she preached and she was ordained, recognized by the denomination. And so that was my background. So I came at it from it wasn't a deal. In fact, I didn't realize it was a deal until much, much later on. And I have, you know, a lot of friends that they see it from another perspective. And I think that's okay. I think that's good. What I would argue for is we be able to look deeply at scripture, which I can talk about a little bit if you want me to, but, and uh, where wise people have disagreed over time that we can hold strong opinions and disagree, but we don't have to divide, you know, Uh, like even at Seacoast, you absolutely have a right to disagree with me and search it out with scripture. And we've got uh, pastors on our staff that see this issue differently. And we certainly have people in our church and Mm -hmm. I have lots of good friends and ARC, the association that I've served, I have people that line up on all sides of the issue because there's more than two. You know, there's there's (laughs) several ways to look at it. Even the word complementarian kind of came to be out of a conference of of guys, you know, I'm going to say fairly recent because Mm. I'm old enough that any time in my lifetime is fairly recent. (laughs) And so, you know, uh, and, and then with with some of my friends, uh, it became very fashionable to talk about these issues. I began to really study, okay, what does the Bible say? Because, you know, there are scriptures. We all run into scriptures, whether it's the ones on, on these issues or others, and you go, hmm, I wonder what that's about. Do you ever have those moments? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Like, you know, like, we're going to have some of those moments here in a few minutes. <laughs> What in the world is the Bible talking about with that? You know, there's a couple of ways to look at that, uh, at those types of scriptures. Uh, You can either interpret difficult scriptures on this subject or any others in light of the rest of the Bible. What does the rest of the Bible say? What does the preponderance of scripture say? And interpret 
difficult scriptures in light of those, or you can interpret the rest of the Bible in light of difficult scriptures. Mm -hmm. And I would say that the first way is probably a healthier way to do it, of saying, okay, what does the rest of the Bible say? What do these say? I don't understand it. Maybe I'm not seeing something in the context. Or maybe it's not saying what it kind of obviously looks like it's saying on the surface because it doesn't match with you know everything else in scripture. So yeah, so when you Seco started in 1988, so from your vantage point, do you see a progression in this area? When you look at 1988 and then you fast forward to 2023, do you say we're at a different place when it comes to women leadership? It doesn't sound as if you've had any major heart change. It seems like you've been steadfast with how you've seen things originally, but how it's played out at Seacoast. Well, I think how it's played out in our culture. And one thing I would say is that we don't bend theology to fit culture. I mean, that's not, you know, what we believe is what we believe, but we do interpret the scriptures to the culture. We're a cultural interpreter. That's what I felt like I've been for, you know, 30 some years here. Uh, Our culture has certainly, certainly changed without a doubt. Therefore, there's been more conversation on the subject. I would also say this, when you're looking at this subject, you're looking at gifting too. Andy, uh, who's on this podcast, is a very gifted speaker. And that's part of what she does. Debbie and I started the church together, and that's not Debbie's gift. She has very strong gifts, but they're not in the the, the speaking or the upfront part. So uh, Andy will say that she and Paul, you know, they went to New York City and they were kind of co-pastors together. I don't know that that was a, as prevalent a model then, but it wouldn't have been our model because that wasn't our gifting. Does that make sense? So, yeah. mm-hmm. and, and so now I know that my daughter-in-laws, uh, for example, have some gifting in this area. And so it's more prevalent. Yeah. Now, last question for you for right now, because I'm sure you want to listen some, but have you encountered opposition within Seacoast, whether it be people that you're leading with? Because I've been here a long time and I know your favorite is not rocking the boat. You love consensus and you're also willing to make tough decisions. But throughout the years, if Sherry Surratt ended up on stage, would you hear it from someone? Greg, what are you thinking? Like, why why was she teaching? I probably have heard it a few times. Really, Joey, though, it hasn't been that much. Yeah. Um, I don't, you know, I could guess at why. It's like this issue is not in anything other than our second bucket. To be a, a, a an attender at Seacoast, a member at Seacoast, on staff at Seacoast, you don't have to agree with Greg on how he believes about this. It's it's not a first bucket issue for us. Have you received any flack, Andy, over the years of, of teaching? Heard any opposition, anything mm-hmm. written out there? Yeah. yeah, and I think it mainly happened for us in New York City, which, again, people are like, oh, there's no way, because, again, it's more of a progressive city. But that was where, once again, we were like brought to our knees to figure out what we believed in it, because it wasn't just that first time. There were people that would write long letters to us and say, I've left your church because. Like, we love this church because of a second bucket issue, if you will. Because we, like, with the first bucket, hello, the tenants of faith, like, we believe in the cross and resurrection Mm -hmm. and like all of these things. But uh, because I led alongside my husband, um, there were just people that would write long letters as to why they couldn't be a part of our church anymore. Like, and many a times to the point where it caused me to question 
my calling, my capability. I was like, I, and cause I love being a mother. I love being at home. I love like all of those things that would be considered traditional. I was like, those are my jam too. And so I'm like, I love it all. I love, I love the body of Christ. I love to prophesy and preach and see her built up. But in those moments, those were enough to cause me to go, now I'm not doing this anymore. And it was always my husband who was like, what are you, don't be crazy. Yeah. Like, you are called, and he would cause me to flourish and love me so well. And that man is amazing. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. So, if I ask you more questions about your husband, I think you're going to fall apart right now. So, let's not do that. <laughs> we all know I'm a crier. It's ridiculous. I wish I wasn't, but well, it well, is. Somebody who would write a letter like that, it seems like either they have it in the first bucket or they have it in the second bucket, but it's important enough to them yes. to where it's like, look, I know this is a second bucket, but I just can't really vibe with yeah. this church if this is how you see this second bucket issue, I would imagine. Yeah. And I would say my husband would always be like, well, that's fine. And that's okay. And we release you to go because my wife is not going to stop preaching and teaching and leading alongside me. And so he would always kindly release people again, because he was like, this is not a bone of contention that I'm going to like bow down to in our context and his leadership. Um, over even with me and over our church. So mm-hmm. uh, we've heard women speakers, it's almost like something that they feel obligated to say, by the way, that's my husband on the front row. Mm-hmm. And some of them will even go as far as to say, my covering. Do you feel that it's a necessity before you teach at Seacoast, for instance, mm-hmm. to talk about headship or your husband being there or anything like that? No, and I don't know. I guess I haven't really deeply thought about that, except for the fact that I just know uh, know my husband. And I, I mean, I know we're going to get into the submission scriptures and stuff like that, but he is such an amazing leader and lover of me. And I remember even our vows on our wedding day what, was that he was going to be—one of his biggest goals was to see me flourish in all of my callings and all of my capabilities, which is love your wife as Christ loves the church. That's what my husband does. And so, therefore, if you watch us, like, our lives are in cohesion. He is honored in my life. Not perfectly, but I, I don't know that I would feel that that's something that I have to say because I think it's just something that we do. Right. Does that make sense? Oh, for sure. I mean, I, I just for the record, I wouldn't no. think, I don't think that you need to. <laughs> you're like, Joey's like, and also next time you're up there and please say it. Right, <laughs> right, right. And where's yeah. your husband right now, Where by the is way? he? Why Are is you he not speaking here? at this table? <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> He's not even in the room. <laughs> I'm going to frame this, the scripture part up. I just kind of want to give you all permission and, and we'll say to the listeners that I'm pretty sure that none of y'all are coming to the table saying, this verse means <laughs> such and such, thus saith the Lord, mm-hmm. I know, because these are some tricky things. So yeah. that's the fun of podcasting is just working things out. Yeah. And, and you know, I certainly don't have the answers here, but I love talking about things that I don't have answers for. Mm-hmm. But the first one that I would throw out here, and it's, it's one that's given me pause for thought, and I, uh, for this one, I'll actually present the conflict, if you want to call it that, and then I'll, I'll tell you what I think about it. But of 12 people that Jesus could have picked, 
12, yep. 12 people, not one of them was a woman. My guess at that would be, I'll refer to 1 Timothy 3.12. It talks about eldership and they must be the husband of, of but one wife. And I've even heard that passage as like an apologetical defense of, see, it, only husbands should be leading the church. I don't think that's a theological declaration as much as it, it is a, hey, here are my instructions about eldership. Elders and oh yeah, in this day and age, there's no women elders because we just don't do that in this mm-hmm. culture. You know, we're we're old school. So I don't I don't think it's a theological declaration. And I would say the same thing that maybe, just maybe, if Jesus would have told Matthew, Mark, Luke, or whoever wrote down the list of apostles, maybe it would have come out with, hey, why don't you include Mary? Why don't you, you know, well, what about these these women? I don't have to look at the list of apostles and see that as necessarily the supernatural release of yeah. who these names, who God chose. Like, I think it really could have been a historical, now here's the people that we're going to write down. They're mm-hmm. men. We're not going to write down women's names. And you you talked about, Kathy, before we even started, just the number of things that women were seen as the, the centerpiece of. One thing I would say is that you have to understand the context of culture at the time. You know, women were treated horribly during those times. Men would wake up and, and uh, thank God that they were alive and they weren't created a woman. Socrates uh, said to be a woman is a divine punishment since a woman is half mm-hmm. man and half animal, okay? Um, Aristotle thought <sighs> yeah. that the courage like of that a one? man... <laughs> <laughs> Aristotle taught that the courage of a man was shown in commanding a woman, okay? And I could go on and on. So this, I wonder how those marriages are, worked out with that philosophy. Yeah. <laughs> well, the point that I'm making is that the culture was different then than the culture is now, mm-hmm. without a doubt. So God, oftentimes you see in in things that are kind of confusing, God working through the culture. His revelation is progressive. He takes people along a journey and he works within the culture. And uh, one of the answers to that would be that that was the culture of rabbis at the time. And God worked through that. Now, you have exceptions because you find uh, Mary, the story of Mary and Martha. Jesus is talking about Mary doing the better thing. Well, she wasn't shirking her duties uh, as a housekeeper with guests at the time. She was actually sitting at the feet of a rabbi as as a a learner of a rabbi, which was highly, Mm -hmm. highly, highly unusual. Jesus is flipping the switch on all of that, but uh, it, it also works with the culture. You asked Kathy, do you think Seacoast would have a woman campus pastor? The answer to that in my mind is, you know, I mean, if she's more qualified, if she's the most qualified person, yeah, I mean, we, we would definitely consider that. You also, though, have to take into consideration the culture of where it is and what the culture will accept and receive. I don't think that's a cowardly way to look at it. I think that's just a wise way to look at it. Yeah. You know, again, before I would even examine those scriptures, I think it would be more fair to take a look at how did God use women in the Old Testament? How were women used in the New Testament under Jesus, under Paul's ministry? And then take a look at the scriptures yeah. that go, maybe women shouldn't do this. 
But yeah, I, like yeah it. I I mean, this is so much fun diving back into over the last couple of days. And I think that's the one thing I for anybody that's listening, like when you read the Bible, do not put the lens of 2023 on it because we have to understand the cultural context to which these original letters were written. And we'll cancel everybody in there. Oh, cancel. I mean, we'll just cancel everybody. Cancel. Right. <laughs> I'm not well, listening exactly. to Paul. <laughs> Ex- well, yeah, Paul's highly offensive, right? So why would we listen to Paul in today's cultural context? You have to actually understand understand why he was writing these letters. So I'm going to bounce around between what you were talking about with Jesus and his 12 disciples, as well as like eldership. And we can kind of, because you mentioned both of those. When we read the Bible, read it in a way where you're going, why was he writing this letter? Why was Paul writing this epistle? What was he responding to at the time? Because you know that a letter is a response to something. It means that there was an issue in this particular church that he had to address and why. So first you have to read it through that lens before you can apply it to today and what that would look like. And so thinking about Jesus and the 12 disciples, like I love that question. Why were they men? Why was it only men? And and like Pastor Greg said, cultural context. Imagine if Jesus said, hey, you know what I'm going to do? I am going to gather 12 women to follow me. Like, do you know what? He would have been a cult leader. Like no one would have taken him seriously in that day and age and that time. But what we do see in Luke chapter eight is that there were women that followed him. So we see that, yes, there were the 12 disciples. It was appropriate. Like if my husband came home and was like, hey, Andy, I feel called to like lead a discipleship group of 12 women. Does your husband talk like that? Yeah, that's like his voice. (laughs) Um, Not at all. He has an Australian accent, so he sounds like an Aussie, but that's a girl Aussie voice. So anyway, he is Australian. Um, and But if he said that, or if I was like, I feel called to lead 12 men in a small group. No, this, that is even culturally irresponsible today. So um, back then as a rabbi leading women, but like Pastor Greg said, he did flip the script. He did have Mary at his feet, a rabbi teaching a woman. And he said she chose the better thing when Martha was doing the culturally responsible thing at the time. So we look at this, but we also have to look at some people theologically believe that the men represented the 12 tribes of Israel. That's why there was 12 men. There's like different things there. But then when Paul greets Priscilla and Aquila and talks about Junia and Andronicus and Romans, I mean, that's a man and a woman and a man and a woman. So either this is why we have to, we cannot build a whole theology on one scripture that we read that is written to a cultural context to say, this is why women can't do this or that or be in ministry. We have to go, what was he addressing in the culture at that time? Because then why either Paul is like not clear and crazy in his writings or he is addressing culture and raising people up because Junia, it says this of Junia that she says, my fellow Jews who have been in prison with me, he says, greet Andronicus and Junia, my fellow Jews who have been in prison with me, they are standing among the apostles and they were in Christ before I was. Talks about Priscilla and Aquila, co-workers in Christ Jesus, people that had a Andy, house church. Andy, yeah, before, before you get away from Junia, mm-hmm. I was studying that whole deal. Junia is listed as prominent among the apostles. Yes. Okay. Martin Luther actually changed her name to Junium. Yes. A male name because it better fit his narrative. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, Martin. <laughs> Come on, Martin. Well, I, well, listen, it's just we've been 
using these things and arguing these things for, for a long time. And sometimes we'll even change the names to make it fit better. Mm-hmm. But that is what's important to understand is dig deeper. Like if you don't understand, ask the question why and dig deeper. But what we see with Jesus is he did flip the script. The fact that, yes, Kathy was talking about who was the first person he revealed himself to as the Messiah, the woman at the well who went and preached, was the first evangelist to bring people to Jesus. And so there are all of these things that we have to consider and go, okay, so I see the Apostle Paul writing this. I see that Jesus did have 12 disciples that were men, but also in Luke 8, it says they were following him, but they were also funding his ministry out of their own finance. Like, why did he allow these women to follow him and come with him? He was shifting culture in powerful ways. I was sitting with my friend last night, too, who studied theology and all of this, and we were having the best time. And this is the thing, too, is like, sit with people and discuss these things, like turn the gem, as they say, you know, look at it from all of the different ways that the Jewish people would wrestle with with, with the Torah. We need to wrestle with Scripture. That, and that's have... what the church is for. Yes. Like, like, the Scripture was always meant to, you know, and I'm not saying anything against reading the Bible in your personal quiet time, but they would roll out a scroll and it was a community deal. (laughs) Hey, we're going to read this and let's talk about it. Let's, Hey, I don't know all these answers. Let's work this out together. Let's figure this out. Yeah. So this is what we have to understand with 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy. This letter is written to the people of Ephesus. Now, these are Gentile people who had a huge cult that they were following. Lots of cult talk today. Sorry about that. (laughs) But theirs was Diana. So Did you you know that there was, uh, Pastor Greg, you may know the year, but there was a magazine that was released here. I think it was the City Paper, the City Paper. And the, we don't have to talk about that if we don't want to. I actually know you know. See <laughs> cult question yeah. mark. And it was I actually mean, a favorable article, but yeah. a lot of people, even a woman that I carpooled with to uh, my teaching job out on Edisto, she was like, "Oh, so I knew it all along. Seacoast is a cult, huh?" And I'm oh, like, "Just read the just daggum read thing. Read the article, but also if you grew up in a cult and then you go to a church, I'm like, I'll just tell you right now, this ain't no cult." <laughs> so Pastor Greg was, was just was triggered. Called- <laughs> Today that was that would be called clickbait. Oh, exactly. And that exactly. is exactly what it was. The headline on the front of it was the growing cult of Seacoast. Oh and the my end of the gosh. story was it totally would have been. Uh, oh yeah. And the end of the story was, well, we've investigated and we think they're uh, actually pretty conservative in their uh, theology. So, so like, but with first and second Timothy, what we have to understand is that when they worshiped Diana, they believed that females were formed first and then men. So even just that right alone, like they don't understand the Torah. They don't know that Adam was formed first and then Eve, that there is a progression of the way that creation happened. So therefore, there was the emasculation of men, the worship of women. Women were out of order. They were loud. They were domineering. There was all of these things that were happening. And so therefore, what Paul is doing, if you read it with that lens, you understand that he is having to address a certain people to understand Like, there are certain ways to worship. You're Gentiles. You have no context of what it is to even sit and listen in the temple. So, therefore, I'm going to have to help you guys understand how to learn and recorrect culture. So, there was a huge pendulum swing that had to happen in First and Second Timothy. And imagine being Timothy. 
imagine, like, he's like, Timothy, here's your job. You're going to go past all these Gentiles and it's going to get wild. And they're going to hate you and they're going to hate me for correcting them because they're acting a fool. And so we're going to have to bring some order to worship so that they can even learn anything. And wasn't Timothy brought up by women? Was he the yes. one that had, yeah. yeah. Like yeah. his grandmother and his right. mother. And so um, I think that's where we start. We have to understand that. So I don't know where we want to go from there because obviously the couple well, of scriptures. Even the Ephesians thing. And the point is that mm-hmm. Timothy was written to Pastor Timothy in the Ephesus church. Debbie and I uh, actually went to Ephesus. We went on a cruise ship that didn't burn down. That's another story. <laughs> First time we ever tried to go, it burned down. But uh, anyway, I went to Ephesus and I didn't know anything at that time about this huge cult and the whole city was built around it. Mm-hmm. That, that was the whole deal. And it was, uh, and then when we went to Israel, to the Israeli museum in Jerusalem, and they have these statues of Diana or Artemis. Uh, I think the Greeks called them, called her Artemis and mm-hmm. the Romans called her Diana. And uh, the, the statues are, I'm sitting here looking at a picture of it right now, but how could I delicately say this? Um, uh <laughs> It's it's a statue of somebody with a lot of breasts. Let's say that. And so she is a fertility goddess also. And there, there's a whole lot behind that. I've, I've studied it and studied it. It's fascinating. But one of those scriptures that always confounded me, not just about women in ministry, but what is he saying in First um, Timothy 2.15? I think it says, out of the blue, but women will be saved through childbearing assuming they continue to live in faith, love, holiness, and modesty. And I'm like, what is that about? You know, how do you explain that? But when you understand the, the, the background of the cult and all of this and these women coming out of the cult, one of the things that uh, Diana or Artemis would do would be an advocate for women in childbearing. And so if they're leaving the cult, they're afraid we're denying, you know, this very big part of our life and childbearing is a really, really big deal. And he's assuring them that, you know, you can leave that behind. You don't have to go to Diana or Artemis for a promise or for help in that mm-hmm. area. And that made perfect sense. I said, okay, yeah. I, I get that. So do you, let's talk about a woman is to learn quietly. This is First Timothy 2, 11. A woman is to learn quietly with full submission. I do not allow a woman to teach or to have authority over a man. Instead, she is to remain quiet. So again, remember who the original letter was written to, women who were domineering and loud. We have to assume or consider that these women were coming in to learn in in the temple or in house church, and they were just loud, domineering, asking questions, controlling. Like, think about that. I honestly would not give the platform to a loud, controlling, domineering woman, nor would I give one to an out-of-control man. Like, you do not allow Mm -hmm. people that are not submitted to Christ— to teach and to instruct people. So therefore, that's what Paul was correcting. These women had had all of this authority, and he's bringing it back to, if you even look at Ephesians, because that's another one, where it talks about submission to one another. Before it talks about wives submitting to their husbands, we always leave that part out. Why does it talk about submission to one another? But there is like a whole correction that is happening for Gentiles who have no context for Christ. So therefore, and then you bring that into today— We do have Gentiles that are coming into the church, if you will. We'll use 
old language that have no context for what do we do now? How do we operate? Well, we don't have men and women separated in worship. We're all together. The disorder is different than the disorder then. So what would the letter be that Paul wrote to us now? Like, like consider what letters would be written to us now. So well, ask. So I guess a, a, a pushback on the, because I've, I've heard the, the cultural thing and I, I know that's how we treat mm-hmm. this verse. I, I mean it when I say you're, you're the scholar here, Pastor Greg, you've been doing the studying. This sounds like a general theological statement to the point where it says, for Adam was formed first, then mm-hmm. Eve, and Adam was not the one deceived. It was the woman. <laughs> like, this does not sound like a, hey, here is a specific issue at a specific place in a specific time. It sounds like I'm teaching you theology right now, a woman, mm-hmm. not you women, but a woman. How surefire is the cultural thing? Is 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 it a guess? Well, if he's even saying Adam was not deceived, I love that. Adam was not deceived. I was just reading in Genesis this morning, <laughs> realizing that Adam was the only one that knew about the—he heard about the tree of life. He's like, hey, there's a tree of life, but don't eat from this tree. And then Eve was created. Anyway, that's a whole—I <laughs> just I was going to deep dive in that this morning, but— because, um, because the only other option would be to say, Paul is off here. And I think most Christians would not be willing to say that. And I totally right, understand. Right. I totally understand And that. I get that. And I think that's why we live in a day and age where people are reading the Bible according to, they're, they're not digging deeper as to once again, what is the context? What was this letter written for? Why did Moses write the Torah for the people who were enslaved in Egypt? Because actually... He was on the mountain with God writing the Torah to remind them of who they were, to tell their story to them because they had been in bondage and didn't remember. And so we have to go back to moments like that and go, oh my gosh. So when we look at this and go, well, if Adam was formed first, then Eve, he is correcting that the worship at the time was, well, woman was created first because they worshiped Diana. He's like, no, actually, the creative order with God is this. And also, I like what Pastor Greg said about I mean, I didn't dive deep into the deceived first. So I'm just going to say I have some theological humility right now, and I don't know. (laughs) And that's the thing, too. I don't know with all of these things, too. And that's the way that we have to continue to come at Scripture is like as a learner, always. Like, and I'm okay to be wrong in things. I mean— wasn't Adam deceived too? I mean, they were both deceived. <laughs> they were both. They were both deceived. Yes. Seems like they both ate. <laughs> Rude, Paul. Why were? But but I do yeah. I do love that Adam was like ah she it was her fault. <laughs> <laughs> but he was there. But if you listen to what Andy just said, he is correcting uh, extreme error from the the cult that was there. Adam's the bad guy, and women are were the good guy kind of a thing. And uh, so he just, he's bringing balance to that. Yeah. Yeah. But then what's so interesting is, you know, the women are not permitted to speak. Well, then you go into so many other things like First Corinthians, right? 14, which again, all of these letters are corrective. So you see a lot of stuff in there, but it's like, for you can all prophesy one by one so that everyone may learn and everyone may be encouraged. And the prophet's spirits are subject to the prophets, which means you can't be wild. You know, you don't have to speak. For since God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. So when you see that line, he's saying all all can prophesy. Men and women can prophesy. Even Peter in the book of Acts, who does he quote? He quotes Joel. Joel. And he is quoting that, no, this is what is spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on 
all people, your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Um, Even on my service, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. So again, you have to, the reason why we have to dig deeper in scripture is because of things like this. You're like, time out. He just said women can speak, but they can prophesy. But isn't prophesying like preaching? And then we get into all of the different things that can be very confusing. He's saying, well, a woman can prophesy, but she can be a children's ministry prophet. Yeah, only there. Children's ministry only, prophet. But only there. <laughs> but also, if women is not permitted to teach a man, like, how do we even get there with why can she teach little young men? Like, right. why can she teach? So that's why we have to constantly ask these questions again. Second bucket. By the way, what's the third bucket? Well, I'm rearranging my okay, theology so, with my buckets right now. So let's just, we'll <laughs> stick with one and two right now. <laughs> I would imagine yeah, just taste, you can, right? You could like, have just, first bucket be absolutes. Second bucket is preferences or is convictions. convictions. Right? Third bucket was preferences, but I, I combined those two together. Got it. So you're working it. They're working kind of the, the same. Working the buckets right now. So my third bucket, the one that I referred to, would be like, uh, what are the absolutes for a subset? For a denomination. Not the church as a whole, but for a denomination. Okay, got it. Yeah. That's helpful. Yeah, on your point, uh, Acts 21, 8 and 9, it says, leaving the next day, we reached Caesarea, stayed at the house of Philip the Evangelist, uh, one of the seven. Mm-hmm. He had four unmarried daughters who did what? They prophesied. They prophesied. Okay. Mm-hmm. So again, I'll go back to the very beginning. My uh, presupposition was you can either interpret the Bible by the exceptions, or you can look at the exceptions through how God generally works mm-hmm. in the Bible. Mm-hmm. And uh, the exceptions, I think, are specific situations to a specific church mm-hmm. or a specific thing that's going on in several churches. Yeah. All right. How does male headship work in everybody's households? Ten seconds each. Go. Kathy. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my gosh. Oh my 10 seconds. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. No, I I am curious though, because Priscilla and I, when we got married, like we, it was, it was pretty black and white, you know, as far as how, how things worked and submission and all that. And I, I think we just, we got to a point, it was kind of a Priscilla, it's obvious what your strengths are and what parts of this family you need to be leading. Yeah, And it's like, I, there's certain decisions I don't want to make. She needs to make because she's got more wisdom and insight in in certain areas. So I, I guess a lot of people would say well, that's a, a very liberal point of view. I, I mean, I, there's a passage that says, like you said, submit to one another. And then there's a wife submit to husband. I would say we definitely lean way into submit one another. Mm-hmm. And maybe, who knows, maybe to a fault, air on the side of, well, maybe there should be more submit to your husband, but we, it would, you know, for us, it just doesn't play out that way. The whole submit to husband right. thing. Are you a submissive wife? At my house, we are partners. We are on mission together. We, it's, it's, it's equal. We, yeah. we have a partnership. And so how would you read Paul's instructions of submit to, because it doesn't say submit to one another, wives submit to husbands, husbands submit to wives. It says submit to one another. And then, oh yeah, husbands love your wives. Wives submit to your husbands. When my husband loves me as Christ loves the church, as he does, it is easy to submit to him at the time that's necessary. I'm not fighting him. Yeah. So I would say too, and if you don't mind me just reading part of the scripture too, because Ephesians 5, 22 through 33, I won't read the whole thing because that's too long, but submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And then it says, wives submit to your husband. As to the Lord, because the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is head of the church. And you go on and it says, Husbands, love your wives. 
just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy and cleansing. But the precursor to that is also um, in verses 18 through 20, talking about how don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. And it goes on to say, because the only way that we can submit to Christ, the only way we can submit to one another, the only way we can submit to godly leadership or whatever that is that we are asking to be submitted to is being filled with the Holy Spirit. There is no other way (laughs) that we can do that. And so I would say my husband and I, yes, we submit to one another, but the way that that man is kind of what I talked about earlier, the way that he loves me as Christ loved the church. I mean, what is Christ? What's the, the, the narrative for men is like, die, die for your wife. To see right. her flourish, to see her walk in life. And gosh, when you have a husband that does that, you're like, whatever, man, like we're running together. It doesn't even come up in conversation. And I know that doesn't work for everybody if there's abusive situations and and so on and so forth. But also, again, contextually, we have to understand that Paul was rewriting house code at the time, like Pastor Greg mentioned, that at the time, men are sorry, women, children, and slaves were seen as dirt, as nothing. They were subhuman. So therefore, the fact that the Apostle Paul would even say, hey, guys, love your wives, like die for them as Christ would, like that was revolutionary. We focus on the wives submit to your husbands, but it's like when you have a husband that loves you deeply, you're like, dude, I'll run anywhere with you. Yeah. And I I do want to say I I have seen couples who have gone very black and white traditional and it works well and it's healthy Mm -hmm. because of the whole, the husband's like, I sacrifice everything for you. And she says, and I submit to you. And it's, it's a great relationship. Mm -hmm. I think when, where we err is when we take it to the point of maybe putting a husband in leadership positions that he doesn't even want. Exactly. I I don't, I don't want to assume responsibility for this. Like you're better. And that is so good. And I would say that happens in our household too, or my husband's like, this is your gifting in our family, like in leading and loving our family. And there's obvious gifting that he has. And that's when you see this beautiful cohesion of of leading together. Because he's even had men, like even with me preaching, right? In some circles, guys will be like, how How do you feel about her up there doing that? Like, are you okay? And he's like, are you he, okay? looks at, he looks at them like <laughs> with his you? blank stare, like, what is wrong with you? Like, <laughs> I love I that. A, are you okay? Well, and he's like, he is a completely secure man in who he is. So it's always been a funny question when he's like, okay, bye. Like, we just are so cohesive in the way that we submit to one another and lead together. And there are times where I'm like, I submit that to you because I don't actually want to lead in that area of our family and sometimes vice versa. Pastor Greg, you tell Miss Debbie what to do, right? Oh, yeah. (laughs) Um, It was, it's kind of funny. Chip Judd uh, has a phrase where he asks, does it live well? You know, you can believe something, think something, act on something, but does it really live well? And I thought about that a lot. When I first got married, I was honestly into some extremes probably because of some teaching that I had followed at the time on this whole headship thing. And it didn't live well. And um, I don't think I was loving my wife well. You know, we mutually submit to one another theoretically, but uh, I don't know that that was happening real well. So she did well with it, but had a hard time submitting to my 
craziness at times. I, I had been told that I need to lead the budgeting process. That needs to be, and <laughs> I am just terrible at that stuff. Nobody can imagine so, Miss Debbie being in a relationship and not leading the budgeting and finances <laughs> of that. She, she is so steady and consistent and honest and, you know, all of these things. And the stupidest thing I ever did was think that I had to lead a lot of that stuff. Mm. And uh, so, you know, you talk about liberal conservative. I don't like those phrases yep. anyway. We just, you know, we throw out terms and label each other with all kinds of them. But I don't think I've gotten more liberal, you know, or, or conservative or whatever. I just think it lives a whole lot better when there's a great degree of mutual submission. And we say, okay, yeah. hang on. One of, the, one of the best things for me, honestly, was the beginning of these personality test things. And the first one I ever uh, saw was a, it was a, like a spiritual gift test of some kind. And I consume those things and I consume them so that I can live better with my wife. And there is a scripture that talks mm-hmm. about men need to live according to, live with their wives according to knowledge. And mm-hmm. I think that's part of it is figure out who you are, who, who your spouse is and love them and trust them and submit to them. And it lives well. And I would say that today, how many years are we into a marriage? We're into 47 years, I guess. And uh, it just lives well. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm not the big dog there. I'm just a dog. We're, 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 we're two dogs together. And, and you know, she, she honors me. And uh, I uh, do my best to love her. You want to pick and, a different uh, animal for Debbie? Works. You want to pick a different animal? Um, dogs. Flamingo. Yeah, that's not good, is it? Yeah, flamingo. No, nah, she's not a flamingo. She wouldn't want to be one of those. Too bright. I, I, I get up every day and I'll see her and I'll say, oh, I wish I was cool like you. And she really is. She's just amazing. Listen, that woman is incredible. She is. She is an incredible woman, and we are just so blessed to have had her all these years alongside Pastor Greg because she really has championed him and he champions her and it's a beautiful thing pastor greg we me and another person on staff jan we've been working on your wife trying to get her to come on at at, like and be the main interview and she literally told me good luck with that that. will never happen (laughs) good luck with that never challenge accepted (laughs) exactly exactly And you know what's what's interesting on the subject that we're talking about to try to shoehorn her into an Andy Andrew role or a Kathy role it just doesn't work and so that's why I love gift based listen let's love love who we are and and figure out each other's gifts and uh, ask the Lord to infuse that with the Holy Spirit. And it just, it, it works. It works for me. Well, thanks, Pastor Greg. Great job. It. Yeah, this was this Everybody, was great, great really job. Good. Thanks for listening. There's a link in the show notes to our podcast Facebook page where we talk about these episodes and share some behind the scenes information, including guests we're booking. Make sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. You're gonna sure. like tell me I can't speak anymore on this podcast. Is yeah, that what yeah, you gotta change your heart. Change your heart. We're ready. Yep. Okay. Yep. <laughs> I want to know where y'all's husbands are. I'm un- uncomfortable that they're not here listening to you guys. Yeah, they're not in the room <laughs> giving us permission. <laughs> oh boy. Don't worry, we will not say those things. <laughs> we're oh, getting, we're, oh, getting we're it recording. Out. Oh, oh, we're recording. Just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs>